And so Handel locked himself in his house for three weeks, didn't even go outside. And he cranked out the Handel's Messiah. And like the friend came in at one point and, and he's like, you know, he, he's sobbing with intense emotion. And uh, after he wrote the Hallelujah Course, Handel was quoted as saying, I did think I did see heaven before me and the great God himself. But what's even more amazing is he decided that he'd write this not just for churches, but actually for outreach. So they would, they would perform it in, in the opera houses, which is like, like, if this is a sacred song, why are you performing it? And we'd, he would hire secular singers to sing this score. Why? Because he wanted them to encounter the truth of this text. It was very new life-ish. I, I, so anyway, I, I, I played that for you. You may not like classical music, but he's singing the text that we're looking at today which is essentially the curriculum vitae or the, the resume of Jesus Christ. Because who is this baby? At Christmas, you'll encounter it on cards, and you're going to see it out in our, in, in our scene there here next Friday as we reveal our light show. You're going to see we, we've painted the baby Jesus, and, and we love the baby Jesus. Maybe you've acted in a play where you, you got to hold the baby Jesus, you know, or whatever. But, but who is this baby? Everyone loves Jesus at Christmas. But who are we talking about? And can this baby actually make a difference in your life? Because maybe you're entering Christmas and you're wondering, I'm just going to the same old hamster wheel again. There's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. And I think that Jesus today wants to communicate to you to say, yeah, I, I think i got something to offer you. Something that you really need. Now, you know, your first job, I don't know if you remember back then, or maybe you, your first resume, right? You're, you're just scrambling to try to come up with something, right? Because, you know, you've, you know, baby babysat or cut grass or worked for your uncle, and you're like, I, what do I put down? And you're trying to think, put it in the best terms possible. Maybe you've had that experience, you know, and, so, and even in our, in our modern workplace, you know, if you work in a lower level job, they never call you like, yeah, you're the peon or he's the minion or, you know, she's the go, go get it person. You know, you always give them a better title, right? Like you're, you're a sales associate, right? You're the merchandiser, you know, that's you stock shelves, right? Uh, you're a hostess. That means you get to clean up the table after the family came and kids threw pancakes everywhere. You know, you're the hostess. You're the olfactory consultant. Yeah, you know, you get to spray, you know, perfume on women's wrists. And what do you think of that one, you know? You're the uh, sanitation advisor, right? Yeah, that's the guy that carries the mop and, you know, the, the toilet duck and, you know, <laughs> cleans the toilets. Maybe you've worked in fertilizer management, right? You know, your dad or mom gave you the shovel, go clean out the stall, you know, their fertilizer management uh, or a pediatric sanitation specialist, right? You change diapers on occasion, you know, uh, or, or just the classic, you know, team member, right? That's, you know, if they don't really have a term for you, like, you're a team member. Basically, you're a minion, you're a peasant, you're a peon, you, you, you just do the jobs that no one else wants to do. But what we encounter in Isaiah chapter 9 is God through his prophet reveals the character and the style of leadership that his son will bring to this world. He's like, here's his resume. And, and I'm giving you titles, and the titles actually have bite to them and have personal relevance for you. So I want to take a fresh look at these words that this were sung in that song about Jesus, the 
Messiah. Let's look at, oh, sorry, first of all, let me show you a picture. Here's, you know, we think about the, you know, this is sort of the sanitized Christmas, you know, lovely colors, and there's, you know, Joseph, and there's the baby always worshiping God, right? His father, you know, he's sitting in there, you know, and nice white Jesus there, you know, it's probably not accurate, but, but that's how we think about Jesus, right? This that little guy in the manger, yay, yay, yay. But what does the scripture say about him 700 years before he's born? God prophesies through Isaiah the prophet. This is what he says in 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. And we'll stop there. He's like, your situation is not good. This is, you know, written in 700. There was, a, you know, an uncertainty. There was financial insecurity. There was, you know, rampant immorality going on. There was no peace. And, and, and what we won't realize is if you actually study true history, uh, the world has never known peace. There's always someone fighting somewhere. That's the nature of sin. There's always someone fighting somewhere. But we long for this peace. And God says, you know, no one seems to be able to manufacture peace, no matter how much investment, how much time, how much manpower is put into it. We're not successful. And so God, in eternity past, says, you know, and with, you know, in this council of the Trinity says, you know what, we got a plan. We're going to send a child and a son will be given. One commentator says, you know, the child refers to his humanity, the son, his divinity. And so in this Messiah, we have a man and God mix, which is perfectly combined. And we discover that in Jesus Christ. How does that work? I don't know. Only God can explain what God's like. But well, I can tell you what the scripture says. A child is born, a son is given, and he shoulders this great responsibility. He is going to fix this mess that we're all in. And he says, now let me give you his resume. And his, this is his names. The name implies his character and his conduct. This is what he can do. This is what he's like. I want you to see the kind of Messiah that I'm going to give you, this deliverer, this king that's coming to save you. And he says, his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace. And so we're just going to look at this. Now notice that first word, wonderful counselor, in, in the King James and some translations, they'll, they'll put a comma there. Wonderful counselor. But we seem to have four couplets that, that present this picture of, 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 you know, four different unique titles. And so it could be five, it could be, a, I'm going to deal with it as four today. He is the wonderful counselor. That is, he is supernatural, and he has this wonderful wisdom and ability to figure things out. The net translation in its early iterations would say the extraordinary strategist. It's like a king going into war who has this key battle plan on, on how to achieve victory. And he says, Jesus has got this all figured out. He is the wonderful counselor. That word wonderful is used to describe God in the book of Judges. So it's, it's a divine title, but it's also this ability to see things and to figure things out and to come up with a good solution. 
Uh, some of you are into these crazy games. I know there's a few of them. Some of you have even designed your own games. We got, you know, and, and, and at Christmas is a good time to play games. Invite people over to your house and play games. But some of these games, I, I, we're not into the complicated games in our house because we just kind of like it simple and we like to have interaction. And, you know, there's too many rules and this person, this, you know, 20-sided dice and all that, you know. Like I, I, but, but some of you know and you love the strategy involved. And, and here we have this Messiah presented as one who, who can strategize and plan and, and achieve victory. He knows things that no one else knows. Apparently, Henry Ford, and this is a kind of a, one of those stories that has different, you know, different, different angles on it, but I've read it in multiple places. He had issues with one of the generators in his manufacturing plant for the Model T, so, so he, he sent General Electric, asked them to come and to, to fix the problem. So this engineer comes from General Electric, and he's listening to the generator, and he's looking around, and you know, he spent some time there, and, and finally gets a ladder out, puts it against the generator, crawls up, takes out a piece of chalk, and puts an axe, chunk, chunk. You need to take that panel off and go inside and rewrap that one coil there, and then it'll be fine. So Ford sends his engineers, and they do that. And he says, okay, make sure you send me the, the invoice for that. And so, so he sends him an invoice, $10,000, 1914. It's the equivalent of $318,000 today. And Ford's like, whoa, could you please itemize that? And so the guy, you know, gets, redoes the invoice, and it says, you know, uh, Putting an X on the boilerplate, one dollar. You know, knowing where to put the X on the boilerplate, nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine dollars. You know, apparently Ford paid the bill, right? <laughs> Extraordinary strategist. God knows what we need. The one who made this world, who created it, who designed us, knows what we need, knows how to fix it. And God says, I'm sending my own, my very, you know, my, my son into this world so that he can help you guys figure it out. He can show you the way. He can mark the X. He is the wonderful counselor. Some of you need some counsel in your life right now. You've got big decisions coming up. You've got, you, you, you know, you don't know what, what the future holds. You're, you're wondering which direction you should go. And, and I'm telling you, you're not going to find a lot of great advice out in the world. You'll find some advice, but I'm going I'm to suggest today that Jesus might have a better idea for your life. And you should seek him first. Lord, what do you want to do with my life? How will you direct my future? How will you help me find the, the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with? I mean, I mean, he can help you with these things if you let him. But if you just trust on the career counselor at school and the counselor at college and who knows what and parents, grandparents, they all have great ideas. But Jesus is a strategist and a counselor greater than all of those combined. Would you look to him today? And, and I would suggest that he's able to help you with the big decisions you have to make. He's the wonderful counselor we men do we ever need this today uh, groups of people are gathering together you know, rich people powerful people and they've got their plan for the world it's happening all over the place and thanks to the internet we know more about this stuff than we did in the past it, it's always been going on but now they're, they're kind of outed a little bit but the reality is they're saying we can figure this world out without him and we all know that doesn't work and this text, this Christmas text, reminds us that the counsel that is the best counsel is the counsel of the eternal God. And he is the only one that can help us.
And we turned to him today and said, yeah, he, he's a wonderful counselor. Not only that, it says he is the mighty God. He is El Gibor, you know, the, the powerful God. Again, this is a title ascribed only to God. So this Messiah, you know, they're thinking it's a kid. They're thinking it's a king. And, and, and God's telling them, no, no, it's God. He's divine. He, he is human, but he's also divine. And they're like, well, we, we, how do we get our heads around that? And even to this day, Jews struggle to get their heads around that. How could God be human? You know, because we know God is the almighty. He's, you know, invisible. He's spirit, you know. But, but the truth is God sent his son and he became human. And he dwelt among us, and he is the mighty God. He has the ability to get things done. The power to actually affect change. Because you all know, you can have great ideas, but if you don't have the power to actually make that happen, nothing ever changes. You know, you call someone on the phone because you need help with something. And you say, can you do this? Well, no, I'm not authorized to do that. Well, can I talk to your manager? Sure. Well, I'm not authorized. I have to check above me, you know, and bureaucracy. And you just get stuck in this, you know, vortex of black hole bureaucracy. And nothing changes. Nothing changes. And God comes along and says, I'm not sending you a bureaucratic mess. I'm sending you the mighty God. He doesn't have to go above him. You know, you're buying a car and you, you negotiate a price. Oh, let me go talk to my manager. Why can't you talk to me? Why are you doing this job if you can't actually sell me a car? You know, why do we always have to go talk to that guy? Why can't he talk to me? You know, and I'm, you know, I'm getting a little irked here, but you know, the mighty God, I can go directly to him and he doesn't have to go above him. There's no one above him. He is the top. Wouldn't you want that guy helping you out? The mighty God. His power is God's power. It's beyond what we can imagine. So, so God says, yeah, I'm going to move my people out of Egypt into the promised land. And in fact, I'm going to take them right to the Red Sea. And they're like, what are you doing, God, taking us to the Red Sea? Because the Red Sea is not an issue for me. It might be an issue for you, but it's not an issue for me. The mighty God has a strategy, and he says, I'm going to get you, and we're going to cross the Red Sea. Yeah, and they do. Guess what? They cross the Red Sea. They get to the desert, and you know, they're, they're thirsty, and, and they're like, oh, God, what are you going to do? We're going to die in the wilderness. He's like, you're not going to die in the wilderness because I'm the mighty God. Moses just, you know, smacked the rock. Boom, smacks the rock. Boom, water comes out. They're out in the desert. They're like, oh, there's no food in the desert. There is no food in the desert. But he's like, I'm the mighty God. And they wake up, and what's on the ground? Food. Every day food. They go into Canaan, and there's Jericho. This imposing fortress. No one has conquered the walls of this great city, which marks the beginning, the entrance to Canaan. And they're like, oh, who can ever tell you? We're a bunch of slaves from Egypt. We've been wandering the desert for 40 years. What kind of fighting force do we have? And God's like, no problem. Just march around it. March around it. March around it. And at the end of that march, just lay out a big shout of praise and watch it happen. Mighty God. Jesus goes in a boat to this Gentile area, and there's this demoniac. No one can help this guy. In one story, it has two, and the other one's single, but, you know, and, and, and their attempts to help him is, let's chain him in the tomb, in the, where the graves are. Let, let's chain him up over there. Let's keep him away from your people. Maybe, and, and he breaks the chains, and he's screaming, and he's cutting himself. The world has nothing to offer this guy. You know, things don't change, do they? He's hopeless. 
And Jesus comes in, and, and suddenly the guy's screaming out, what do you want to do with us, Jesus? We know who you are. And he's like, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't kill us or whatever. You know, he's like, well, I'll send you into the pigs. You know, he sends them into the pigs, these demons that have, that have taken control of this guy. And, and they go to the pigs. The pigs go off into the, the water. They drown. And this guy suddenly is well. And everyone's just shocked because they just witnessed the very power of God to fix a problem that they could not fix on their own. And you've got a problem like that in your life, probably, maybe a few of them. You see in the future things that are like, whoa, what are we going to do when that happens? What's going to... And, and, and Jesus, God himself today is saying, you know, I, I send Jesus who is the mighty God. He can help you. He has the power to effect change. He's also the everlasting father, which is the next thing in the... In the in the list, he's the everlasting father, which is confusing. Because you're like, just wait a second. Now, if you grew up in the church, you know that there's this holy trinity, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, the son is not the father. And the son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the son. And, and you're like, okay, so, so this is, I mean, people got in trouble in the first couple centuries of the church because they confused the natures of the different members of the trinity. You're like, well, what are you talking about? Jesus is not the father. He's not the father. This is a phrase in the ancient Near East to describe a king. When you declared yourself loyal to a king, you would say, I will be your son. And the, and the king would say, okay, yeah, and I will be your father. And, and with that came protection and provision. When you aligned yourself with a king, you were looking to him to, 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 to secure his army around you and also to make sure that you had the needs to live your life. And he says, I have for you not only a strategist, not only a powerful person, the mighty God, but I have one who will exercise care and compassion for you and lead you in a way that no one else can. I mean, a true father, right, doesn't ditch his children. And we see the results of, of children where, where the dad is just, you know, bailed out and, and I'm not responsible. You know, they're, they're essentially a sperm donor with legs because they're not living. They're not actually helping those children. But Jesus is the everlasting father. The father who never quits loving, caring, and protecting you, providing for you. And I know this as a dad because I think, okay, is there a magic number where suddenly I have no responsibilities with my children? No magic number. You know when that day is? When they put me in the coffin. So, you know, that's the day when I quit being a father to my children, right? But we have an everlasting father. He Because he he, he's eternal. We, he never stops doing the fatherly thing for us. He is a king who continually provides and protects us at all times. He is the timeless source of fatherly protection and provision. And lastly, he's the Prince of Peace. His reign brings true and lasting peace into the world. 25 times in the book of Isaiah, this idea of peace comes up. If you read through the book, you'll see just peace, 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 peace. Why? Because we long for peace. But now, this is not UN peace, okay? This is not just, you know, laying down your arms and, and, and you know, ceasing to fight in war. That's a part of it. But it's also the peace of the soul. Uh, the word peace in the Hebrew is this idea of, of wholeness, of, of completeness, of just being, being right in the world, with the world, and with others in this world. That's peace. It's going to sleep at night and not worrying about anything. That's peace. 
Peace is getting up and not worrying about anything. That's peace. Peace is knowing that, that there's nothing else you could do in this life, in this moment, than what you're doing. You're, you're, you're walking in God's will. That's peace. I remember driving up here in 1995 to go into a church across town. I had no money. I had this old car. But just the peace in my soul. I, didn't, I, didn't, I had no idea how any of this was going to work out. But just like, yeah, Lord, I, I know I'm going where you want me to be. And it was just it was like, oh, I'm good with this. And then I watched the gas gauge get lower and lower and lower. And I, I drove by Neilberg thinking, oh, there's a gas station. No, no, they're not open after, you know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, oh, Lord, help me now. <laughs> Give me the Lloyd. But anyway, but I had this peace. When you walk with the Lord, when you know Jesus Christ, you can experience peace. And many people are looking for peace and not finding it. You're going to, you know, yoga classes, and you're, you're going online, and you're practicing deep breathing techniques, and you're not having peace. And you go to, to tranquil places to find peace, and then you have it maybe for a moment, but then it's gone. You're wondering, where do I get peace from? God says, I sent him to you, the Prince of Peace. Jesus will have the ability to bring the end of war. And the end of fighting. The, the messianic passages of Isaiah talk about this time where they're turning all the articles of, of warfare in, into, into you know, agricultural implements. It's going to be a beautiful picture in the messianic and the millennial kingdom when, when suddenly we're not fighting each other and wasting billions, trillions of dollars on war when we can just enjoy the Prince of Peace's leadership. And you and I long for that. Because you know you're not seeing peace in our provinces. You're not seeing peace federally. And you're wondering, how do we find peace? And, and, and ultimately, it's found in Jesus Christ. He wants to bring you that well-being into your life. The best life ever. The peace that only Jesus can bring. And in verse 7, this kind of closes out the, the prophecy. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Christmas was part one of a two-part act that God has designed for, for, for the world. Jesus took, came and he, and he ended up, you know, starts in the cradle, ends up at the cross. He dies for sins. He, he, he rose from the dead, which is significant because he's not Lord until he rises from the dead. And so, so we have this risen Savior, but he's also the returning king. And so part of this prophecy awaits a future fulfillment. And in that, we can today have hope. Because the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace is coming back. And as the people of Isaiah's day long for a Messiah, so we too long for the Messiah. But he says, I am actually able to function in your life in these titles today. You don't have to wait for the millennial kingdom. I can be your wonderful counselor. I can be the mighty God in your life. I can be the everlasting father. I can be the prince of peace if you'll let me. And today, that's the invitation that God puts out to you. Would you receive my son, Jesus Christ? And in doing so, discover the God that's willing to work with you and help you and guide you and lead you and love you. So here's the question. What do you need today? Someone who can guide, lead and guide you through life? I mean, who wouldn't want that? 
someone who has the power and ability to get things done, you need that. You know, you go to the medical professionals in our provinces, in our city, and, and they, they just run you in circles, and you wonder, can, can anyone help me? And in God, we don't find that. We find someone who actually can get things done. Do you need someone who actually and consistently cares for you? Because he is this everlasting father, this father of love, this father of eternity who, who just keeps loving and caring and providing and protecting his children. Do you need someone like that in your life? God says, let me be that in your life. Because yes, you're, you, some of you have had a dad that, or father that's let you down or abandoned you, a mother that's done that, other family, friends that have done that. But what does Jesus do? He consistently and actually cares for you. He is the, the everlasting father. Do you need someone who really wants your life to be the best life ever and who wants our world to be the best place ever? The Prince of Peace came to bring you the best life that you could possibly have. And when you experience salvation in Jesus Christ, you realign your life with God's purposes for your life. You had a purpose and a plan before, but you abandoned that because you say, okay, I believe in Jesus Christ. He's the the one who died, rose again, but now I want to walk with him because I believe that God has this perfect plan. And in that plan, he sent his son into the world and and his son died on the cross. His son rose again and he's he's coming back. In the meantime, we are part of his family and he invites us to, to walk in this Prince of Peace reality, which is the best life ever. It's obedience to God. It's experiencing his favor. It's trusting in him. He wants our world to be the best place ever. Do you understand? Our world will never be the best as long as Jesus is excluded from it. Or he's diminished within it, right? You know, the Da Vinci Code. Some of you guys watched that movie, right? I mean, you know, the, Jesus is some, you know, clandestine guy who snuck away and had children with someone. I mean, that's not true. It's all a bunch of lies. Why? Because if I can diminish Jesus just to be someone just like you or me, then he, I don't have to listen to him. I don't have to look to him. I don't have to trust him. I don't have to believe in him. And I don't have to worship him. But if what the scripture said about him is true, and what these scriptures says about him is true, then I have to stop and say, do I believe this? And if it's true, how does that change the way that I live my life? And he makes this promise like, yeah, I'm here to help you. I'm here to guide you. I've got the power to, to affect change in your life. And, I, and, and I've got this, this love and comp- compassion, this provision for you. And I want you to experience peace. If you're not experiencing peace, it's probably because your life is not centered on Jesus today. So I'm inviting you to believe in Jesus. I'm inviting you to trust him. And I'm inviting you this Christmas to just... Be available for God to use you. And maybe you're just shoving a little pebble in someone's shoe when you talk about Jesus to them and what Jesus means to you at Christmas. Because it's a great opportunity to engage in those conversations. Team, would you come up? We're going to close in a song here. I'm so glad that God sent us this Savior. My life would not be the same if I didn't know this Jesus. And, and yours wouldn't be the same. And yours could be different if you would believe in him today. So I'm inviting you, if you've never received Jesus Christ, to, to, to believe in him today. And believers, I'm inviting you to re-experience and to re-examine and, and to rediscover the, 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 the full scope of his resume and his, his, his offerings to you. Yes, 
He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And he says, let me function in those capacities in your life this week. One of those is going to be needful for you this week. And, and just say, you know what, Lord? I read the scripture. I believe the scripture. I need you, your counsel. I need your power. I need to know your love. I need to experience that peace. And he says, I can do that. And he will. Would you trust in him today? Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. You loved us so much to send your son who was the child that was given to us. And he is the, these things that we've looked at today. He is all these things to us, Lord. And we pray that we would experience his counsel, that we would know his power, that we would feel his love, and that we would experience his peace deep in our soul as we trust in him today. There's people with some health challenges. There's people with family difficulties. People in financial challenges. There's pe- people that just are, are, are disoriented, are uncertain about the future. Lord, all these concerns swirl around within this congregation, and we just pray that we could get through that storm and discover Jesus today. May he be so real to us in whatever we're facing. We pray this in his name. Amen.